Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 5050. Coming to you from our world headquarters in San Francisco, welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Eli Miniker. Episode 50, Eli. Number 50. Very special. Did you ever think we'd make it? I, I did, actually. Okay. I'm looking forward to episode 100, but this is the milestone episode we've been uh, getting ready and gearing up for this very special show. So we'll start off really with introducing our guests, but before that, Eli, yeah. I got a couple names here I think you'll recognize. Okay. Oracle. Mm-hmm. IBM. Heard of them. Google. I think I've heard of them. Hearsay Social. Definitely heard of them. And what do they have in common? Our guest, Michael Locke. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so excited to have you on the show. And, you know, I mentioned all these names and all these different companies that you've uh, worked as a senior executive. You certainly have spent some time in the technology space. And that's really what we wanted to get today is really kind of pick your brain about your background, your experience working in technology. And so why don't we start from there? What is your background? Where are you from? And uh, where'd you grow up? Well, I'm, uh, I'm a Canadian by birth, uh, Victor. Uh, uh, born and raised just outside uh, uh, Toronto, and spent the first ten years of my professional life working in technology in uh, you know in Canada, mm-hmm. and then I've uh, been in uh, Silicon Valley now for twenty years. Wow! So um, you know I think I'm a, a native Californian now, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know from that uh, you know from that perspective. Yeah. Well, it's easy to adjust to California. We've got a lot of Canadians working here. We do social. actually. Yeah. And we've got an office in Toronto, so yep. we certainly have our footprint out in the uh, the north. But you're a big fan, you know, from Canada. I know you follow the hockey teams. What is your hockey team? Good. I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan. So nice. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Although we're uh, we're keeping our heads down because we haven't been good for a while. But look no. out, look out for us. Yeah. It's <laughs> always next year, right? Well, this guy, as you know, he's an optimist with the 49ers, and we were talking about Perennial the fact optimist. that the uh, Golden State Warriors won, yeah. and of course the Giants won, yep. and so we keep saying that you know it's that it's time for the 49ers, 49ers to start yeah. getting a win. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's a bit of a long shot. <laughs> Mike, Michael is the uh, the balance to my positivity on the 49ers. You know, we can't be too uh, greedy here in the Bay Area. We yeah. got to, you know, let's I'll just take face it. it. It'll be a bit of a long shot, Eli. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I saw, well, if it is, it'll be a miracle. But just, <laughs> but it's pretty exciting times here in the Bay Area. Now, I have to imagine, you know, obviously we're in the bed of technology here in San Francisco Innovation. It's one of the biggest themes. We had the Innovation Summit uh, earlier this year. Uh, what were some of your early influences when it came to technology? Uh, well, you know, I, you know, I've been in this business for uh, longer than I would care to admit. But uh, you know, so I started in the hardware business sector, mm-hmm. and then uh, then one day I woke woke up and realized that hey, software was where it was at. And then I did some serv- some stuff around software and uh, and uh, you know, and services. Uh, but the big things that really you know I think have changed things because the the industry was moving fast back then and. The, you know, we, we talked about fast-moving technologies in the 80s and 90s, but it wasn't really until, you know, the internet and then the mobile internet in particular, where I think we've we've really now hit a new level of speed of impact of technology on people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also I also should point out the other big thing I'm seeing is that, so the beginning, the first 40 years, the technology business was all about business to business. It was, you know, IBM and uh, made computers for businesses. And unless you were a really large business, you weren't really affected, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, by this. And, and, and all the great early names of technology were all about selling technology 
uh, to businesses, whether it's IBM or HP or later on companies like SAP and, and Oracle and Microsoft to a large degree as an enterprise technology company. Now, with the advent of the internet, and especially with the advent of mobile and the internet, we've actually, for the very first time within the last, I would say, 10 years, actually made good consumer technology. Mm -hmm. Before that, consumer technology really sucked. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it was just not, right. it was not, you know, it was not great. I, I like to tell the story, is like, you know, we, we had VCRs for forever. Victor, you might have had one. Eli I, I have one. one. I still have one. That was state-of-the-art technology, yeah. but they were pieces of crap, right? right. You couldn't even you couldn't record right. easily. Uh, so really only with, in my mind, the advent of the Internet, that Netscape, the, mm -hmm. the browser, yeah. um, later eclipsed uh, the creation of Google. Um, I like to say the starting point of the, of the Internet and then, of course, in 2007, with the introduction introduction of the iPhone, yeah. the beginning of the mobile Internet. And all these things are mashing together to now really make great technology for consumers, um, which, by and large, for the first 40 years of the industry, we didn't address. Mm -hmm. And since two-thirds of the world's GDP is right. consumer-related, um, you know, the early part of the great go-go, you know, IT was really just about B2B. And now it's largely... Um, you know, about B2C, or at least appropriate, about two-thirds B2C and about a third, you know, uh, B2B. Mm -hmm. So obviously one of the big names we mentioned at the beginning is, you know, no stranger to anyone listening to this podcast or really anywhere is Google, you know, one of the biggest names in, in business. And you were there for how many years? Uh, almost a decade. I was there eight, yeah. eight years and a bit, yeah. Tell us about your experience with that. I mean, you're pretty early on. Yeah. Uh, again, my, my background um, was a bit different in coming to Google. I'm not, I wasn't at that point an internet guy. I certainly was not an internet advertising guy. And to this day, despite eight years at Google, well, um, you know, I don't know that much about internet advertising. I, I went there, Eli and Victor, uh, to help found and run a part of Google called Google Enterprise, now called Google at Work, which mm -hmm. was trying to take great consumer-based technologies and bring them uh, you know, to the business world. Um, and, uh, and that's really been my passion for the last, since, since 2005. Now, it was a very cool time. 2005, you know, the company was just going public. There were 2,500 people in the company. There's now 50,000 people yeah. in the company. Wow. Um, you know, Gmail was really just getting going. Mm -hmm. You know, Gmail now, you know, has, you know, uh, you know an unbelievably large, you know, base to, you know, to build off. Um, and it is now... Um, in my humble opinion, the most important company in the world. It wasn't in 2005. Right. It had mm -hmm. some good, you know, pieces of technology. But in my mind now, you know, and, and, and certainly the, the Apple people may disagree, <laughs> but I, in my mind, the most important, you know, company in the world, not only in the past five or six years, but I still think going forward. Mm -hmm. Certainly pushes the boundaries of what's possible. And, you know, they, you know, just expanded from something so, you know, basic of just a search engine to something so huge, you know, mm -hmm. everything from cars to, you know. It's interesting. One of the first things that uh, some, somewhere on the internet, if you Google it, you'll find this thing, the top 10 rules of Google. Yeah. And, and one of those rules at the beginning was do one thing and do it well. Right. And that's when we were just search. So right. we're all about search. Just and do Yahoo it as who yeah. was all about this. Be the and, best. You know, now, of course, it's a highly diversified company, which is what happens to, mm -hmm. to companies. But the interesting, my interesting part of the story and contribution to the Google story there was really, and it has some influences of, to what, you know, uh, I do here at Hearsay, is, and that is, you know, what we were charged with doing, Dave Gerard and myself, 
were to take these consumer-based technologies and bring them to the enterprise. Mm -hmm. I mean, by and large, enterprise technology um, at that point had been pretty staid, pretty brittle, uh, and pretty non-user friendly. And this concept of maybe you could use consumer-based technologies, which were now really good, so technologies like Google Calendar and Google Docs and Gmail and Google Drive, they were all interesting things because people mm -hmm. really liked them in their personal lives, but they weren't allowed in business. And so, right. so what, um, what Dave and I and Matt built back then was you know, a set of technologies which would allow those great consumer technologies to be used um, you know, by businesses. And we had to add different layers of, uh, of software in between there in order to meet the enterprise requirements, things like directory integration mm -hmm. and archiving and the things that, that uh, granular policy control, um, you know, security systems yeah. um, that were there. And so that, that's kind of my contribution was saying, hey, these were great consumer technologies and we were able over the period of eight years to make those popular within uh, within business, and I had the great um, uh, uh, honor of competing with Microsoft, yeah, um, and particularly Mr. Bomber at that time, <laughs> and it was uh, it was a lot of fun, but it kept me on my toes. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing Google's really well known for, obviously, is their culture, which has kind of been you know the uh, the example a lot of Bay Area companies have used to to build their culture. You know, you want to have that kind of free flowing Google culture. How did that kind of get built up? I mean, if you were there from, you know, when it was twenty five hundred to fifty thousand, a I guess what I want to know is was it scalable? And you know, <laughs> b how did it how did it get built? Um, here's what I experienced, and, I, and there's certainly lots of books you know being written about yeah. uh, you know about this now, and I would recommend uh, Eric and Jonathan's book on how Google works as a as probably the best idea of how Google worked at least at the, in the formative years. I yeah. mean, uh, mm -hmm. so first of all, I think Google's done better than most at becoming big, but no doubt it is very hard to be a 50,000 person company, you know, a, a company doing $60 billion in revenue and not, and, and it's, it's clearly not the same as it was at the beginning, but there are a few principles that are there. Uh, I'd like to probably dispel a couple of myths that's there. So by and large, the culture was built um, in order to produce great products. So it meant to be an engineering culture. So all that 20% time, all the free food, uh, the maximum degrees of, of, of freedom were meant you know, to actually be predominantly the way the company ran from an engineering perspective. With this concept that Larry and Sergey had, that simply is, if you want to recruit the best and smartest people in the world, they're going to want to uh, work in a maximum uh, freedom to uh, uh, you know environment and oh by the way if they're really the best in the world you're they're gonna you're gonna be comfortable in doing that right the rest of the business <laughs> ran a little bit more normal I mean not yeah. normal you know uh, you know stayed and old but you know if you're in the accounts payable clerk you're supposed to come in at eight thirty and leave at five right uh, you know so the rest of the world it wasn't that great I, I ran a fairly large sales team we didn't let them play pool and ping pong at at Right. Nine o'clock in the morning. I mean, we didn't stop them, but, it, you know, the business ran a little bit, sure. a little bit more uh, normal. And I think, you know, the, the other hallmark, I think, of, of the culture at Google is just really just good judgment. Um, I mean, it was the first place I ever worked where there was literally alcohol in every department. There was alcohol <laughs> in the legal department. And I went, holy, like, you know, yeah. this is, you know, 
But because it, it was a very, uh, you know, trusting culture, I mean, in my entire time there, I never saw anybody abuse alcohol at, at the office. Right. Um, so it was, it was, the last thing I'd say is that it had an element of fun to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that was, you know, uh, uh, in doing important things while you were having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Google's done, a, a, you know, a, a largely good job of maintaining that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it has some bigger headwinds yeah. as a huge company, uh, but uh, it's done a great job, I think, of, of maintaining that culture for as long as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. So given your experience at Google and also working in technology for the bulk of your career and as a technologist and business leader, I was curious, what were some of the lessons learned through that career that you've brought over to Hearsay Social? Yeah, um, I think there's a couple of uh, things. One of them I talked about is this whole consumerization of the internet or bringing consumer technology to business. Um, but it's another way of simply saying, we, what we learned when you're building consumer applications is you need to make them really good. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't force people to use your application in the consumer world. The enterprise world could actually force people to use crappy technology. They <laughs> simply would say, hey, if you want to follow your expenses, Victor, you shall use the crappy SAP expense system. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you won't get paid. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and so one of the, the things I think we've learned by, by, by watching the development of really great consumer applications is we now have to build user-friendly, um, uh, highly, um, you know, uh, easy to use uh, and, and interesting, you know, enterprise applications. And mobile has just been an extension of that. So at the beginning, I mean, it was kind of a, first of all, we built all these, we went from essentially these really old Windows client server-based technologies um, and, or mainframe-based technologies, some people were on, um, to web-based technologies. But, I mean, an interesting story I was going to say, I was such a huge advocate of web-based technologies. Lo and behold, in 2008, 2009, while I'm telling people that everything is going to be browser-based, the world flipped on us, and everything again became client-based. The client was just happened to be the iPhone and, mm-hmm. and the Android phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the other major thing, and I, I think we can't underestimate. People know it, but they don't emphasize it enough, is mobile is the biggest single trend that we have ever seen in the history of, of, of computing. And, um, and, and whether you're a technology company like uh, like hearsay social or whether you're one of our customers, mm-hmm. you should always be, be wary of the fact that the applications that you're designing are predominantly going to be used on mobile phones, mm-hmm. predominantly going to be used on mobile phones. The overwhelming use of the application will be on a phone, not on a 17-inch monitor, and not even on a 10-inch iPad. It's really going to be used on a maybe increasingly larger mobile phone, um, but that, that trend you know, really good consumer technology and mobile technology are two that I'd like to highlight in this little talk. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, even my own experience, so I just got back from a two-week trip to the East Coast with my family. And if I had not had my mobile device, it would have been a completely different trip because it was, we were checking the maps to know where we had to go. I was going to Google Docs to see the document to get the confirmation numbers for the hotel and the car rental. Mm-hmm. I use the uh, Google Map feature for driving directions to get from point A to point B. When we were in the city, we used Uber to get from location to location because it was better than public transportation. Yeah. Uh, when it came to checking balances on my you know, Chase, also mobile device. And I sat there and, and, and I thought, 
how did we travel before? You know, because yeah. when we arrived at, let's say, Gettysburg, you'd pull up the Wikipedia piece on Google on Gettysburg and start reading about that and sharing that with the kids. And it was just this whole experience through, as you pointed out, this small screen. Right. And so you're looking at that from a leisure standpoint for business. There's so many more applications when it comes to being able to use these mobile devices. And that's something that we're seeing in the industry is really needing to get to the clients and make it simple. I mean, that, that's a theme that comes up very consistently is that the adoption of technology obviously gets easier the simpler it is to use. Yeah, and I think that uh, as we turn to the mission we have at Hearsay Social, you know, that's, that's one of the things we're trying to, you know, to, to make happen. I mean, we're almost skipping over. I, I believe that the financial advice insurance industry is almost going to skip over the web-based technologies mm-hmm. and, and go to, not completely, but mm-hmm. go to mobile, you know, pretty quickly. Because the industry was slow in adopting web-based technologies. But now where are the consumers? The consumers, as, as you pointed out, when you're on your vacation, they're on mobile. Mm-hmm. And so if you're trying to reach them back on the web, you can reach them on the web. You can reach them on, on uh, Facebook. You think you'll be reaching them on Facebook. You're mostly reaching them on Facebook on their phone, mm-hmm, on right. LinkedIn, on their phone, on Twitter, on their phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's real important and what we're doing at Hearsay and for all our customers out there listening is that your really idea is you're pushing people, um, you're pushing the messages uh, out there to where consumers are today, which is on their their mobile devices. The the other thing I think is going to happen in the in the industry we support is that, let's face it, the financial advice and insurance business has by and large been um, uh, it's a, it's an older business, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and it has not been a business where advisors and agents have basically went through they they don't love the pc you don't visit them in their office and do that but they're experts on their phones Mm -hmm. and so i think many financial advisors out there they're actually they're 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 going to adopt the technology um with their phone and not so much with the device of the past which is the p the pc so Mm -hmm. many advisors will skip over the pc and get directly to the mobile uh, device and whether that be a a a phone or or, or a tablet you know, we'll, uh, you know we'll, we'll see. But those are important ways that the financial industry is adopting this technology. Mm-hmm. And with the technology that we're developing, I mean, it could be applied to many, many industries. Why the focus on financial services and insurance? Well, the, uh, we, we did go through a little soul-searching at the board level and at the executive level here at Hearsay, because when you make a decision to focus on a single industry, it's a, it's a big one. Because mm-hmm. um, if you get it wrong... Uh, <laughs> It's when you decide to do one thing very well, if you don't do that thing very well, you don't have a business. So, <laughs> um, But here's what I think's you know, happening. One of the things that's happening in technology is that we, we've done a poor job in Silicon Valley of bringing industry expertise to technology. So we, we, we deliver these technologies, but they're by and large meant to be these big, broad, horizontal things that, that fit you know, all companies. Well, um, in Companies, you know, a hospital and a bank and a manufacturing company are way, way different things. And so I do see a big trend in the industry to deliver vertical solutions, whether those become from the really big companies like Microsoft or Oracle or SAP, you know, but you're seeing a new, a whole new wave of companies develop vertical applications because that's how customers, customers, you know, uh, consume them. So I think it was a natural for hearsay social. The other reason, you know, Victor, we went down that path is social is disproportionately important to the financial services business, especially to to uh, wealth management, to insurance. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason that is, is that this industry has been selling socially long before there were social networks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, when, when if you were a New York Life agent 20 years ago and you got hired, you would be asked to bring in your high school directory and your university directory and the golf club membership and the church membership. And you essentially, you know, taught people how to sell socially, first to their family and friends mm-hmm. and then to their second degree network long before, you know, the the second degree network was called the second degree network, you know, and the third degree network. And indeed, um, so um, in many ways, I always feel like I say to insurance and financial services executives, social media and social networks themselves are, are technology's gift to the industry. Mm-hmm. You've been using those, uh, uh, you, you know, social uh, networking forever. It's now massively scalable and massively potentially automated now so that you can get so many things done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the combination of those th- two things, the idea that any technology has to be vertical, and the second thing is that this technology is so important to this um, to this industry, I think it became a bit of a no-brainer. Well, and I think that you've been out in the field to present to various you know senior leaders as well as present to end users as I have. And, and some of my most you know, favorite aha moments is when people see that translation, when they make that recognition that all we're really recommending is that they take this, uh, this ability to be social, which is, comes natural to them, and really digitizing it. They're saying is if I've got those connections, you mean that I can actually find these people on LinkedIn and connect with them and continue having these conversations. But the real aha moment is when they can take a piece of content or take information and not limit it to a one-to-one, but a one-to-many. And so those are some of my favorite aha moments because they realize that it's not that much of a leap. It's something that's innate in their business process and all they need to do is find a way to leverage the technology. Right. And a lot of that also has to do with the fact that you know the financial and insurance industries, the, the advisors have a far more long-term personal relationship with their customers than majority of other businesses. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have a long-term relationship with your car salesman. They're going to sell your car, you know, social is helpful for them, but it's not a multi-year relationship in which, you know, you're communicating about a, a you know, variety of subjects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. I think that, uh, I mean, if you, if you follow the evolution of the, you know, business to consumer relationship in the financial services industry, you know, it, it started when people had to do face to face. It's actually started knocking on doors mm-hmm. and then it migrated to, an, an event, a, a very phone-based, you know, industry with a little bit of face-to-face, you know, to that. But still scaling that, um, you know, and then, and then frankly, then it went to email, this idea that you would contact and try to reach people, you get their business card, then you try to email to solicit them as a client. When they became a client, you try to communicate them by, you know, by email. But email is getting, you know, pretty stale. Um, it's a difficult way. It is, it's certainly not a, there, there was a point where if you got an email from somebody, you would feel special. <laughs> right. Now it's a burden to receive an email. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I've got too much email. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're now certainly in the stage where if you can, if you can reach people through social rather than through the telephone or through email, it's just a much more, you know, uh, you know, effective way. And I mm-hmm. hope that some of the technologies that we are bringing with the help of our partners like Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Google Plus and Yelp is that you, the, the individual person, agent and advisor can scale their practice, can service more people by knowing them better and being able to speak with them 
you know, and I say speak in, in quotations, but communicate with them, um, you know, electronically in a much, in a much, you know, much better way. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, I also hope that we can bring down the cost of providing this advice and providing um, this level of, of, uh, of, of service around things like insurance and, and, and wealth management. And it, 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 the costs do need to be driven down in this industry. Mm-hmm. And once again, a consumer-driven model. I mean, it really is that the customers that are in control here that are making the decisions on their preferred medium for communication and connectivity that they'd rather actually be reached upon through some sort of social network as opposed to email, which is more of an inconvenience. Well, and I, I, I want to branch out and where we hope to take uh, the company and uh, you'll see in, in products uh, either recently introduced or on the drawing board is it isn't just social. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I believe that, Customers are going to have to be serviced by financial services uh, professionals in all mechanisms, you know, that are, you know, that are there. And we and we were particularly late in this industry to social, but now we're catching up. Mm-hmm. I think some of, with some of hearsay's help. But I mean, <laughs> oh, another oh, you know favorite issue for for me today is many many of the clients listening in here don't use text, which is the predominant way people communicate today. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yet, for many of our customers, for many of our customers. They ban the use of text, you know, as a customer communication mechanism because of the compliance issues associated with it. Mm-hmm. But trust me, I mean, that is the way people communicate today. Mm-hmm. So it isn't just social. It needs to be text. It does need to be email. It does need to be a video conference. It is going to, you know, we, we, we need to evolve the role of the advisor uh, to a person who uses all these technologies to service his, his, uh, his customers. A social suite, if you will. <laughs> your words, not mine. Or maybe my words, not mine. <laughs> I think they're your words first. So, you know, from your perspective, what is the future of the industry uh, in financial services and insurance? Well, I sometimes tell this story at conferences, and I, I, I feel, um, when I visit these conferences, I feel a lot of trepidation um, in the, you know, in the, in the industry. And indeed, it's an industry with, whose, whose growth record um, isn't as, as good as it should be. But I view the industry this way, is there is a tremendous demand for, the, for financial services in, the, in this emerging commodity, bigger than what is being serviced, uh, you know, serviced today. And whether, you're, whether it's life insurance, where we sit at a historic low in terms of life insur- insurance sales you know, per capita, um, or whether it be the protection of our assets with our with with property property and casualty insurance, mm-hmm. and certainly in wealth management in a in a largely industrialized world where people don't save enough money and are living longer, the need for financial advice, financial planning, protection of assets has never been greater, and yet I don't think the industry has moved quick enough to be able to service all the people that need to be serviced. So mm-hmm. I I tell this story to financial services executives. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of Uber. And they go, why are you telling me an Uber story when I'm selling insurance or wealth planning services? Well, here, here's this, this, the, the, what's happening with, uh, with Uber is when Uber got in the business, the, the cab business and the taxi business was not particularly good nor particularly large. And so Uber hasn't published a lot of statistics, but it's published these ones. When it got started in its home market of San Francisco, the entire taxi business was $150 million a year. Mm. So they went, ah, you know, if we really do a good job, couldn't we get 30 or 40 or 50% of that business and be a $75 million business Mm -hmm. in San Francisco? 
Well, last year they published that the amount of revenue uh, for Uber in San Francisco is $500 million. 3x, 3x what the entire taxi industry mm-hmm. is. And growing even faster. It has a chance in, in, you know, if it keeps growing at the rate it is, three years from now it will be 10x the existing cab business. I'm worried about how much of that is me alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yes, yeah, a good point because you're, you're you're taking Ubers where you would not have possibly taken. It's very true. And I believe with the proper application of technology, the financial services business, it's about growing the total pie. Mm-hmm. Here, if you can use finan- uh, you know technologies to better reach consumers, create new products, service them better. It's not about stealing three points a share from your competitor in a marketplace that's growing 2% or at GDP. It's about making the pie bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what financial services companies have to do, which is focus on, on creating even better products than they have today and reaching consumers with technology and create their own Uber. Right. Um, and, if they, and if we can do that, and, and I, I clearly think of hearsay as part of the financial services industry now, and if we can apply mobile social technologies um, to this industry, I think it can grow um, a lot more, and it has to grow because there are many, many people not served by the existing financial services industry. You know, we talk a lot about on this podcast about millennials Mm -hmm. and and that kind of group in general. And, you know, eventually they're going to be the ones uh, as they as you know, time goes on where they move into the they'll have the majority of the money. And most of the people in that generation and most of the people I know from that generation, you know, they don't have any real sense of financial or insurance advisors or what their needs are there. Uh, we talk about that a lot, but, you know, it's exactly what you're saying. It's growing the pie, not stealing from the existing. It's, you know, there's a whole group of unserved, you know, potential out there. Well, and there's also an ongoing conversation that we've had quite a bit on the, uh, you know, automation of the system through a robo-advisor. And so looking at the industry who sees this robo-advisor and the automation, does that help grow the pie or is that a challenge? I mean, should the financial services industry be threatened by the robo-advisor? Uh Here's what I, uh, I think is a very important topic and one that is not being discussed properly mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the industry. And in that it seems it's an either or, the way mm-hmm. this is shaping up, just the same way it was sort of like. So it's, it feels to me like some sort of labor negotiation where it's <laughs> the big computer on one side and the people on the other. And in, in, this, in, the, in this case, the financial services is, is, is the union, you know, <laughs> probably not where it, where it, where it wants to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the reason I, I don't think it's, be, it's not an either-or. Mm-hmm. I do believe that what robo-advice is doing is it's, it's providing, it's doing what computers do very well. It's helping allocate the assets in your portfolio in a better way than human beings can do that. So if you're threatened by that, maybe you should be. But I would, I would, I would, I would uh, surmise that most of the value that we bring in the financial advice industry is not about asset allocation. Mm-hmm. And um, it is, in my f- conversation with my financial advisor, literally the final two minutes of a two-hour meeting that there's a lot of discussion about what's happening in my life, what's happening uh, with my children. And it, we're basically talking now about life choices and uh, risk appetite. And that's where my financial advisor provides value. Mm-hmm. Now, would I feel g- 
better or worse if at the end of that meeting he said, I'm going to use a computer to help me allocate the assets? Mm-hmm. I go, I would feel better. Yeah. So I believe that robo-advice will be a tool which human financial advisors will use mm-hmm. in order to better service their customers, not as a replacement. Mm-hmm. I also think it's a stepping stone. And, and in many ways, and you'll see certainly people in the industry either building or acquiring advice-based technologies because the very low end of the marketplace cannot be served profitably by the human advice model that we have. Mm-hmm. So if you have $8,000 to invest, then you can invest it you know, online with robo-advice. But the minute that becomes you know, a larger nest egg, I think you know, you'll have the opportunity then to move those people up the food chain and they're going to need advice. If I'm investing $8,000, I'm happy for the computer to do it. If I'm investing $800,000 or $8 million, eh, probably not. Yeah. Um, so the sh- my short answer to that is I, I, I think it is a, a, a tool, just the way social media would be a tool mm-hmm. or email would be a tool. And uh, my guess is that when we wake up here, Victor, five years from now, every major uh, company offering financial services in the marketplace will have automated asset uh, or automated assistance tools to help allocate assets mm-hmm. and determine uh, stuff. And it won't be replacing, replacing human advisors. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, with that in mind, then, um, what skill set do you think is important for someone who may be young, who's thinking about getting into the financial services or insurance industry? Yeah, let me, let me answer it this way. So, first of all, I think there are very few young people actually thinking about getting into financial <laughs> services or advice, you know, business. So before I, you know, if I gave you the answer to that question, I think we'd be advising a very small, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, group of people. So what the industry needs to do, first of all, is make this a more attractive place to work. So if, so if you know, and it's, it's not just the application of technology, you know, this area, but, you know, if, if, if you, here's the, here's the value proposition we give to somebody who wants to be in this business right now, Victor. Um, come and work with us. You'll, you'll make virtually nothing at the beginning, right? <laughs> you, you'll, you'll get a draw, enough to probably not even pay your bills. And if you really work hard, um, you know, pretty soon you will no longer be starving. You'll be actually be able to pay the, the bills three or four years into that. And if you stick in the business for 20 years and are highly successful, you're going to be on easy street. Mm-hmm. And, and, and oh, by the way, eight out of 10 people fail. Maybe nine out of 10 people fail. Mm-hmm. That's not an attractive value proposition in an environment where young people are increasingly given more really good, really good, uh, you know, choices. So mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think if we, uh, if we, if we, if we need to change it in the industry. And again, all these people entering are, if you're, if they're not able to fully utilize technology, you know, then they're not going to be interested. If, if they're told to like, even today, many of them people will be brought in the industry and told to get on the phone and make 80 phone calls. Mm-hmm. They're not stupid. They know if they make 80 phone calls, they're going to get two pickups, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So I, I do think that my, my, my advice really to the companies doing this thing is we have to make it more attractive to you. We have to give them a lot of technology you know, options that are there. And if we can do that, then my advice is I think we actually then have to convince a whole new uh, uh, set of people to enter this industry for all the reasons that the people that are in it are in it because it's a it's a very fulfilling industry. The idea 
that then you can provide advice to help protect people's assets, make sure their kids go to college, uh, that, they, that they live the financial uh, life that they want to, to live. That's why people are in this business. Um, but we, it's just too damn hard to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure I'm answering your question. I'm answering what, the, what does the industry need to do to that? Mm-hmm. And if we can talk those people uh, into being interested in our industry, um, then, um, then we can get on to the next question, which mm-hmm. is, you know, how do, how do we arm those people to be successful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Michael, what final thoughts or comments would you have for listeners of our show? Yeah, um, I think I would uh, like to say that we, we know what we need to do with technology and this industry. And indeed, there, there are no shortage of solutions and there are no shortage of good ideas and good intentions to move forward. We're just moving too damn slow. Uh, we are. It, 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 and, and, and for a while, you know, Victor, we, we, we blame compliance for moving mm-hmm. slow because, you know, FINRA hadn't ruled on this and blah, 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 hadn't ruled on that. Oh, FINRA's now got good guidance out there. We know what the rules are. I don't think we have compliance to kick around anymore and say, the reason we're not adopting technology is because of those people in compliance. Mm-hmm. The reason we're not you know, going fast enough is we're not going fast enough because it's us. Mm-hmm. We need to realize that if, uh, that, that if we don't move quickly, we're, not, we're going to be not only not gaining a new set of customers, but we're very much going to be losing the faith of the customers that we have, and we're not going to be able to get to those new customers that are, that are there. Mm-hmm. And so I urge everybody to say, you know, let's make it a top priority to move digital to the, to the front burner uh, and, and to put real programs in place with measurable goals um, and get going. That's my final thoughts. Well, I, I agree 100%. And we're Absolutely. both just shaking our heads. Yeah. So praise, <laughs> praise and preach, Michael. <laughs> Preaching to the choir here. And, it's, it, you know, and it follows a lot of the themes that we talk about. Yeah. So hopefully those words, based on your experience you know, as a technologist, as a business leader, and someone who's worked for some very large organizations and household names here, uh, and your contributions here to Hearsay Social to get that message across to our customers, I think is extremely important. So we want to thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Uh, however, we, before uh, we let yeah. you go. We always have our, our three questions, that, uh, the same questions that get asked uh, for new employees. We like to ask for our guests on the podcast. So start off with favorite color. Uh, it is blue. Right. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, no, no question. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. No, no kidding. Really? I would not have guessed wow. that. That's a great movie. Well, why would you not have guessed that? It, there, I mean, it's the I correct mean, answer. It's not. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not an opinion. Right. We get so yeah. much it's not a subjective. Uh, we yeah, get so many true. others, and and so yeah. that, I think that's the first time I ever heard anybody say Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's a great great movie. Great movie. Uh, and Spirit Animal. Uh, I don't. I, I haven't taken the online test, but since I'm from Canada, I'm going to say moose. Nice. All right. Moose. You you know, kind of, I'm kind of a big guy, you know, mm-hmm. a little bullheaded, you know, so uh, <laughs> let me go with moose. Perfect. But, uh, well, Michael, we want to thank you for joining us on Hearsay Social on the Air and sharing your thoughts on technology and financial and service, financial services and insurance industry. Uh, thanks for coming by. All righty. Good talking to you guys.
All right, so great conversation with Michael Long. Yeah, fantastic. You, you knew it was going to be good. Always. And, and There's always a reason is. we had this one pegged for number 50. Exactly. And so we really wanted to celebrate episode 50, a real milestone. And you had asked earlier, did I ever think we were going to get to 50? And you know, when we first started this experiment, yeah. you know, I was happy once we got it. I was really thrilled when it got on iTunes Yeah. because that was very validating. And then after that, we've extended it on to Stitcher Radio soundcloud so however you're experiencing the show whether it's directly from our blog post or any one of the uh the podcast program players like itunes stitcher or soundcloud you know from the bottom of my heart i want to thank everybody for listening for sharing uh feedback and for for you know really kind of encouraging us and continuing the the show yeah absolutely um so i wanted to share with everybody so statistics because here we are at this uh, episode 50 we got a milestone and so over the course of the last 50 episodes, we have had a total of 54 guests, if you include Michael today. Wow. 54 guests. Of those 54, 29 of them have been people from Hearsay Social. Nice. Employee so, spotlights. Uh, yeah. So it's about half, a little over mm -hmm. half of the guests that we've had. Total running time. So if you went back to episode one, do you, do you, do you know how long episode one is? I, I laughed when I looked I it up today. 12 minutes. Oh, wow. So we've really gotten a little we got longer. longer yeah. We got a little longer a little, as we've progressed. So 12 minutes, verbose. episode one. But if you were to play them back to back from episode one all the way through uh, 49, so we don't have the numbers yet for 50, yep. uh, but about 37 hours then right. total. So 36 and a half if you include this one, a little over 37 hours. <laughs> They've listened to our voices for over a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And hopefully it was a great day. That was a good right, day, to, yeah. That's a listen. Um, and of course, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't take an opportunity to send out a shout out to Ronnie, who, who started this venture with me with episode one. And then thank you, Eli, for joining us. Uh, starting around the episode 30 or so yeah. and being a part of the last 20 episodes. And I'm looking forward to the next 50 and me celebrating too. 100 down the road. Uh, you know what this means. I do indeed. It's another episode of Ronnie, Ronnie Walk. So our good friend Ronnie, and I mentioned him before, is, who's been part of the show from the very beginning, and he continues to be a part as we trace his progress as he walks across America. I think the last time we checked in with him, he was still working his way uh, westward across Kansas, and he made it past Kansas and went into the great state of Colorado. He did indeed. So um, the last I checked in with him, he was just uh, leaving Denver, making yep. his way westward to cross the Rockies, but he passed the town of Watkins and Byers, Last Chance. Yep, oh, Last nice Chance, chance. Colorado. I know Anton, where that is. Mm -hmm. Joe's in Adalia. Nice. Is that how you say it? Adalia? Mm -hmm. Adalia. Yeah, so he's been making some amazing progress, so we encourage you to continue following Ronnie Walk using hashtag Ronnie Walk. Yep. Or checking in on our Facebook page for Hearsay Social on the air, where we'll post pictures and updates, and I've got the map out yep. there, just kind of highlighting Penn. So he's crossed. Uh, he's about to cross the Rockies, man. And he's getting some company here pretty soon. I don't know if you know about this, but no. uh, Hearsay's very own Mark Gilbert is flying out to meet him and walk uh, the little tail end of it with him. The tail end of what? The tail end of, of the, of the walk. walk. Yeah. Really? He's going to do Colorado up and over with him. Uh, I'm not 100% sure where Mark meets up with him, but I did find out that Mark and Ronnie are going to meet up and 
He's going to finish the walk with him oh, to California. Man, I want to do that. I know, uh, no, right? not the whole of California. Uh, no, just the. I yeah. think I'll just do the Bay Bridge. Maybe I'll right, just yeah. cross over to Oakland. We'll just meet him for the last it, the for the last like mile, and then of course celebrate Perfect. like I did the whole yeah, thing course, myself. Yeah. Right, you know, just go through the get finish t-shirts line. that say we walked all the way across. So Ronnie, keep going. And hashtag West always West. Hashtag Ronnie Walk. Man, we're pulling for you. It's so exciting. You know, the funny thing is, um, and I'll share this, is that on my return trip from the East Coast, we actually the plane stopped in Denver. Yeah. And he was within driving distance. And I was like, part of me just like said, I'm just going to go just rent go a car and just go hey, say yeah. hey and, you know, pat him in the back and, yeah. you know, clap him along and, I don't know, buy him a nice warm meal or something right. and just keep going. But anyway, Ronnie, keep walking west, man. We're waiting for you here in San Francisco. Can't wait to see you. Okay, so that concludes episode 50 and uh, our Thought Leadership Series here with Michael Locke. We want to thank you once again all for listening, not just to today's show, but to all the shows and participating as part of this entire process and this experiment called Here's a Social on the Air. Uh, we've got some exciting shows coming up. Uh, I've got Dan England yep. up on board, mm-hmm. uh, so he'll be coming up soon. And we're also hoping to get a few more people from within Here's a Social on the show because we've got our company kickoff and our sales kickoff coming up. And whole that'll give us coming an together. opportunity yep. to get the whole team together. So if we can get this uh, digital microphone with us, uh, get a few more interviews. I'd love to get some folks from our Asia team, yeah. our team from Europe. So we'll see what we can uh, pull together in the next couple of weeks or so and then be able to share it with everybody here on Hearsay Social on the Air. But with that, I am Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Eli Miniker. And we'll see you next time. Happy 50th. Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, Episode 1. Episode 2, 3, 4, that's 4, <laughs> 5, 6, Episode 7, 8, 9, 10, Episode 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, Episode Sweet, 16, 17, 18, Episode 19, Episode 20, Episode 21, which means we can drink now. <laughs> Legally. 22, 23, 24, 25. That's a full quarter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just like the 25. 26, 27, 28, 29, which is a prime number. 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. Episode 35, 36. 37, 38, 39. Bienvenidos a Hearsay Social on the Air, Episodio 40. Episode 41, 42. Jackie Robinson's number. And the answer to life, the universe, and everything, according to Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. A very special episode. Quite. One of my favorite numbers. 43, 44, 45 which happens to be Jenny's favorite number. 46, 47, 48, 48, 48, almost 50. I know, we're getting there. 48, episode 49er. Go Niners. Go Niners. Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 50.
Uh, lightning round. Answer as quickly as possible. Beatles yep. or Rolling Stones? Beatles. A house in the mountains or a house at the beach? Beach. I know the answer to this next one. A's or Giants? Giants season tickle holder. So Giants. Right. Would you rather be cold with a blanket or hot with a fan? Uh, I'm going to go cold with a blanket. Nice. And would you rather be in a tank with a shark or a cage with a bear? I'm, I'm, uh, I, I do not like sharks, so I'll, I'll take the bear anytime. It's the, that's the most common answer on that one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, thanks, Michael. All right. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Great job. That's awesome. Thank you so much. All right.